Now tonight, if you have your Bibles, let's open them to again the Gospel of Luke. And tonight, the 15th chapter, I want to consider with you for a few moments uh, one of the most blessed passages in the Bible. Uh, I think it is a favorite of so many people because uh, uh, every one of us, to some degree and in some area of our life, we are able to identify with the young man that our Lord talks about in the story of the prodigal son. And the Bible reads like this at chapter 15 and verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. The story of the prodigal son is not only the story of an individual's life, but in a broader sense, it is a story and a portrait of the human race in its rebellion and in its resistance to the will and the plan of Almighty God. It is equally a story on the part of some in the latter part of that story of return unto the Heavenly Father. 
genuine repentance is found in the heart of the prodigal. He comes home and finds there a loving and compassionate father who is willing to forgive him of all of his transgression and thereby comes the restoration of real joy and real happiness not only in his heart as a forgiven sinner but especially in the heart of the father who longed for him to return to his fellowship. Now the story itself breaks down into five distinct movements. And they are, I think, uh, uh, very well described in these five words. First of all, the story begins with the scene of ugly rebellion. Rebellion is followed in the second scene of the story by life of revelry and riotous living. The third scene follows the second, and that brings us to the point of the young man's remembrance of what he had at his father's home and in his father's company and what he had at that point of remembrance. And then remembrance is followed by repentance. The young man repents of his sin and returns home. And the fifth movement in the story is the movement of rejoicing. So I hope you'll remember the story by these five simple words. Rebellion, reverie, remembrance, repentance, and rejoicing. Now then let's look at those points in the story and consider the truth as it applies to our lives individually. First of all, an ugly rebellion is seen on the part of the young man. Verse number 12 says, And the younger of them said to his father, Notice his words, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. The young man's request, or literally a demand was, Give me. That in itself is a revelation of man's basic problem from the beginning. His has been one of rebellion and resistance to the will and the desire of the Heavenly Father and thus replacing that by his own will and his own desire. Someone has well said that many generations ago, men were willing to say, give me liberty or give me death. Another generation comes along and simply says, give me liberty. But our generation is expressed by less than that, for our cry is simply, give me a hamburger establishment, I think, expressed it well when they appealed to that nature in man and they said, have it your way. And man desires to have his own way. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go. I want to be what I want to be. And I'm going to do exactly that. Isaiah described us in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah and verse 6. And here's how he spoke. And he said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one, listen to this, to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Man is a rebel by nature.
nature. He rebels against authority. Now you can find that in a little baby. If you don't believe it, you try to hold them down when they want to get up. And I'll guarantee you got a scrap on your hands. They're just ornery and rebellious. If you don't believe that, try to hold a little fella's head still and you'll get a squall and a scream as sure as you live. Now man just does not like to submit to authority. He is rebellious by nature and desires to have his own way. My little boy came in the other day, and his mother, and my wife, of course, is a school teacher. And uh, he came in the other day, and he said, uh, Mommy, I just hate school. And, of course, that upset his school teacher mother. And she said, Why, son, I'm surprised. You're making fine grades in school. You mean, son, you don't like to learn? Oh, no, Mama, he said, I like to learn. And that's very evident. He is curious by nature, and he wants to know what makes everything work. Tires up the alarm clocks, tires the radio up, trying to figure out who those little men are in there talking, you know. And I believe he'd get him a screwdriver and a pair of pliers. He would tear anything else up and operated like that. He wants to learn. He wants to know. He wants to know about things. But my wife said to him, my son, do you mean you don't want to learn? You don't want to know about things? Oh, yes, Mommy said, I really do. Well, she said, I don't understand. Why do you hate school if you like to learn? And you like to learn how things operate. Well, he said, I'll just tell you why I don't like school. Miss Woodall makes me every time I want to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water, I have to raise my hand and say, may I be excused, Miss Woodall? And he said, I don't like that. And he said something else I hate about school, Mama. She says, you've got to have this chapter read in your book by tomorrow or you're going to get a paddling for it. He said, I hate school, Mama. Now, you know what my little boy is saying, really? He wasn't saying that I hate to learn, but I don't like authority. I don't want to be told what to do. I want to do what I want to do, and that's it. That is man's basic problem. He chooses his own way and refuses the way of divine authority, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the apostle said the crowd cried when our Lord Jesus was arraigned before them? They said, we will not have this man rule over us. The word Lord in the Bible applied to our Lord Jesus Christ implies authority. He is the master. He wants control of your life. But now why? For this simple reason. God wants to give you the very best in life. And he can only do that as you are submissive to the very role and to the very purpose that he has designed you and made you for. You will never know real fulfillment and purpose in life until you have found the place of the will of the Heavenly Father for your life. Now there is a basic will and a fundamental will for every man's life and every woman's life. For all God's creation. And that basic will is that we walk in harmony and in fellowship with Him. 
The book of Colossians states in the third chapter of the book of Colossians, uh, and if I can remember, I think the 16th and 17th verses, and the apostle said that God not only created all things, uh, uh, that all things were created by him, but that all things were created for him. He made us for himself. That's foolish for a man to suppose that God has a plan for all of the rest of creation and has no plan for the very highest mark of creation and that of human beings like you and me. God has a plan for the stars and the planets and he has placed them in their very station, in their orb, and there they remain. But what if, for example, the, 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 the planets in our, in our solar system were rebellious and chose their own way like human beings choose their own way in opposition to the will and the plan and the design of the Creator? We're told that the sun is the central force of our solar system, of our galaxy. Now that sun in its rightful place causes things to work orderly and as a result causes all of the rest of that unit all of that rest of the cosmic creation to fall in rightful order and to fulfill its purpose but what if the moon said to the sun i don't like where the creator placed me I don't like being stuck way off here in this orbit. I am determined to overthrow you, and I'm going to get in the central place of authority. Ah, that's what I want. What if the moon were able to do that? Do you know what would happen in our solar system? Calamity and catastrophe and destruction. What if any of the other planets decided to move into the orb of the sun and take its place? The same thing would occur. Ah, oh, my friend, God has a plan for your life and for mine. And if our life is to work orderly and to be blessed of God and happy and prosperous and enjoyable, we must find God's order for our life. And that order cannot be maintained without submission. To authority. And the Lord God is that central thorn. Now watch this. When he created man, he created man that the Lord God of heaven would have the central place in his life. You ever hear anybody talking about let Jesus into your heart? What are we talking about when we say that? Into this little pumping muscle down here that pumps blood through your system? Oh no. We're talking about the heart, the center, or if you please, uh, the spirit of a man. Man is composed of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. The body is that part of man that you see. The soul, the spirit are invisible. But you see expressions of the soul as we express ourselves through our body. But the soul is the real you, but the spiritual part of man is there as well. And that is the very central of man where the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be on the throne and ruling in your life. But you see, man says, no, I don't like that order. I'm going to be the master of my own life. I'm going to rule my own life. I'm going to do what I want to do, go where I want to go, behave like I want to behave. I don't care what that loudmouth preacher says and what the Bible says. I'm going to do it my way. And you're inviting trouble. 
The Lord designed you and made you and me so that things would work as they should when Christ is in the central place of our life. Do you see that? Do you agree with that? If you do, nod your head like this. If you don't, I'm going to back up and crank up all over again. Huh? All right, sure. Now, Christ has a central place. A tire, when it gets out around, you know what will happen to it? If you don't correct it, it will destroy itself. A machine, and some of you men, and maybe some of you ladies, you, you know something about, uh, something about uh, as the old boy said, scenery. You know, you know something about a motor. That motor turns at a fast pace or a fast, uh, uh, fast revolutions. But if that motor is off center, you know what will happen? It will destroy itself. Do you realize as well when you get out of step with God and you begin to take the affairs of your life in your own hands and do it like you want to do it and live like you want to live and exclude God from your life, you're inviting disaster. Hear these words of Isaiah 1, verse 19 and 20. The Lord said, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Isn't that a blessed promise? But listen to the next verse. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. A man who chooses his own way and leaves Christ out of the place of authority in his life and refuses to submit to him is as foolish as the man who says fooey on the laws of this state of Georgia that says I have to drive my car on the right hand side of the road. Now there is a law that says that whether some folks know that or not. <laughs> no way some many drivers are. I don't think they know that yet. But I mean it says you're most driving the right hand side of the road. Some of us say hey I don't like that. That's restricting my freedom. I'm going to be a liberated man. I'm going to be a liberated woman. Uh-huh. Snaked up on you, didn't I? I'm going to be liberated. I'm going to be free. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what God says. I'm going to drive on the left-hand side of the road. Help yourself. But you're headed for trouble. Nobody will stand out here in this churchyard with a club nor a shotgun. If you get out of here tonight and say, boy, I don't care what the law is, I'm not going home on the left-hand side of the road. Well, you just tell us what kind of flyers you want at your funeral. The whole story is man in the same sense is saying, God, I don't care what you said I ought to do in my life. I don't care what I ought to do about Jesus Christ. I'm going to drive on the left-hand side of the road. I'm going to do what I want to do. Somebody said, hey, that old law gravity. I don't like that. I'm going to show people that I'm liberated. I'm going to go downtown and get on the highest building I can find or the water tire or the radio tire and I'm going to jump off there and defy the law of gravity. Help yourself. We'll pick you up with a shovel in the morning. Now what a man is, a man is doing, he is foolish when he's saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. God has a purpose for your life, a design for your life, and that purpose can only be known as you come to know Christ as the Lord and the ruler of your life, the Savior of your life, and as you walk with Him day by day. What if one of you men took your wife home a dishwasher, an automatic dishwasher? If you don't have one, lady, I'll tell you a good way to get it. Let him wash the dishes for a few days. So you take her home one, and you're going about your business, you come back, 
she's all dressed up in a nice evening gown, hair all doodled up real pretty. And boy, she says, she meets you at the door, honey, let's go out to tell us for supper tonight. Well, that sounds like a pretty good idea, okay. Well, she said, I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's get in the dishwasher and go downtown and uh, go downtown to the dishwasher and we'll have supper out. I said, what's wrong with you, woman? Get in the dishwasher. Why, well, he said, that thing's not made for traveling. That thing's designed to wash dishes. Why, well, how foolish can you be to think mean you get inside that dishwasher and slam the lid and let somebody mash a button and off we go? Why, well, how foolish! And yet, do you know man's as foolish as that? When he says to God, I'm going to run my own life, do what I want to do, I don't care what I was designed for, I'm going to live it like I want to live it. Now, you will never know the full purpose of your life pulling a gag like that. And I'm talking to some man and some woman, a boy or girl, a teenager right here in this building tonight, and that's exactly the picture of your life. You've been kicking your heels up at God. The Holy Spirit of God been dealing with you, revealing to you your very need. And all the while you're saying, I don't care if my I am out around. I don't care if I am all sinner. I don't care what I ought to be. I don't care what God says about being born again, about repenting of a sin. I'm going to live it my way. You're headed for disaster, not only here, but eternally. God has a purpose for your life. Now then, the prodigal son Desired to have his own way. What a picture of man. The Bible says that reveals rather that when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he placed them there for fellowship with him, gave them a job to do. But instead of that, Adam and Eve got to uh, got fooling around and, and listened to the devil and they disobeyed God and chose their own way and went on their own path. They deserted God and they asserted their own will and deserted the will of God. As a result, death came. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, who is Jesus Christ, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has a plan for your life, and you'll never discover it until you discover the basic plan, and that is that you know Christ as the captain, the governor, the master, the Lord, the umpire of your very life. And oh, what a life it is to know Christ in your heart. Oh, what joy. All right? The prodigal said, give me. He is rebellious. But now watch. And the father divided unto them his living. Isn't that very strange? Did the father not know what was coming up? Yes. Didn't he know that that young fellow's going to head for some heartaches and heartbreaks? And buddy, he is headed for trouble? Yes. But you see, he had a choice in life. He was a free moral agent. He could say, I will stay here or I will go. And I'm going to tell you tonight, are you listening? God created you not as a robot, a puppet on a string, or an automaton, but he created you as a human being with the power of choice. He sets before men two ways, the way of life, the way of death. He sets before them heaven or hell. He sets before them Christ or Satan. He says to you, you make a choice. He says to you, you're at the crossroads, you're at the forks of the road. What choice will you make in life? I want you to make the right choice, and I'm here to guide you. And every time you've ever heard the gospel down deep inside, that receptor of truth told you, yes, that's the thing you ought to do. 
You ought to walk down that aisle, give your hand to that preacher, bow on that altar and invite Jesus Christ. You you're new to this right. I've never heard a man say, I know I did what was right by rejecting Christ. Never heard him say it in my life. But I've heard many a man say, the greatest error of my life and the wrong of my life was to leave Jesus out. And so God gave the man, God gives man a choice. I'm glad it's like that. I'm glad the Lord doesn't reach over here and grab a fella or a, man, a woman up with a hair of the head and say, look here, you're going to be saved and you're going to go to heaven whether you want to or not. I'm glad the Lord doesn't say to us, you're going to love me whether you want to or not. I'm glad it doesn't work like that. I'm glad that the Lord says, I want you to love me. And I want you to know I love you, but I cannot make you and will not force you. You're a human being. You have the power of choice. I offer to you the greatest and the best. But your choice you must make. So the prodigal made his choice. The father divided to them in his living. And notice verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into far country. And there wasted his substance of the riotous living. Not many days after. Look how restless the rebellious fellow becomes. Rebellion always creates dissatisfaction. It always creates a restless spirit. Man cannot be still. He cannot be alone. Americans and as, as a whole have lost the ability of getting alone and being quiet. They're afraid to be alone. Afraid of what they may hear. Afraid of the impressions of the holy God upon their own heart. And man doesn't want to be, doesn't want to be still. He's got to have the TV going, got to have the record player blaring, and the radio going, and many times all at the same time. He's restless. He can't stand to sit still in the church service for 30 minutes or an hour. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want God to talk to him. He's restless. And the prodigal son got on the move not many days after. Now I want to tell you something. If a man knows the truth of God, he'll do one of two things. He'll either submit to it or he'll rebel against it and hightail it out of there. You understand that kind of language. I mean, he's just not going to hang around. Why? Truth to a man who's rebellious makes him miserable. He don't like to be in that. He stops his ears off. I don't want to hear it. And he runs away. I'm talking to somebody right here tonight, and you're running. You're trying to get away from it all. Listen, you can go anywhere you want to go, but you will never be satisfied in your life till you get right with God. You could gain millions, you could own property, you could gain fame and fortune and be successful and still be miserable. Why? God made you like that. He wants you for himself. He made you for himself. You belong to him by right of creation. And he'd have you to belong to him by your choice. God would have you to be in fellowship with him. But man, he's restless. He wants to get on the... I was up in Memphis, Tennessee and preached a service one night. And after service, I just I, 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 I stood behind a pulpit like this talking to some fella. And all of a sudden, a woman came up from the audience and she came around here like this and just butted into our conversation. And very loudly, she began to say, I want to get out of here. I want to get out of here. I want to get out of here. And I said, now, hold on, sister. I may look odd, but I don't look like a door, do I? She calmed down a little and I said, now, what's your trouble? What do you mean you want to get out of here? You didn't have to come. Why do you want out of here? 
She said, I'll tell you, if I, if I somehow, I feel, if I could just get away from the sound of your voice and the voice of other preachers and the sound of these Christian people around here, I'd be happy. And I just want to take off somewhere. I said, listen, you could get on the next rocket headed for Mars or Pluto or is it Plato? Pluto. Or, is that his name? Is that that planet's name? I don't know. Is it Pluto? Huh? I think of that dog that used to be in the funny paper, Pluto. But I said, look, you could head for Pluto or Mars or get on the next rock ship, the moon, go up there, and nobody be up there but yourself. Nobody anywhere around, not your thing, and you'd still be miserable. Your trouble's not where you are. Your trouble's what you are. Your trouble's down in your heart. Some of you are running tonight. You're thinking, oh, if I could just change the circumstance, I could change this and change that and move here and move there. I'd be perfect. Boy, oh, if I could get to the lights, if I could get to the big cities, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, if I could get there, boy, I'd just get lost in it. That's what this poor fellow thought. He carried his trouble with him. And there's where your problem is, down in your heart. The prodigal son, not many days after, gathered all together and took his journey, notice this, into a far country. I wonder why a nearby village wouldn't have done. Too much out to remind him of his father. The old feed mill. The old town square. He didn't want to think of his father. Why? He knew he'd done him wrong. He had sinned against him. He would rebelled against him. He didn't want anything to remind him of that. He wanted to get away from it. In my rebellion, in my own personal life before I saved, and when though religious and uh, working in the church, yet lost as I could be, never had really surrendered to Jesus Christ, I came to the place of infidelity. I want to throw God out, and I want to throw the Bible out and burn it. And I could have done that and still been miserable. My trouble right here. So, the prodigal son got all he could together, and went over and listened to this sad word and wasted his substance in riotous living. Every moment you spend away from God Almighty and Jesus Christ, you waste your life. It's nothing but down the drain. It's nothing but a garbage heap. Your life has been with. If an angel of God were to have to write an epitaph on your tombstone if you would have died tonight, and the angel wrote the truth about you, they could write it in that one word, wasted. Wasted. Talents, time, ability, life, opportunities, all of them wasted and thrown to the wind. Oh, how foolish sin makes mankind. And the prodigal son wasted his substance in what? Riotous living. I heard one of our mountain preachers a few years ago and he pronounced this word rottenness living and preached a whole sermon on rotten living. Boy, the best sermon I ever heard in my life. He just wasn't reading the verse right, but uh, he had it pretty well right. It is a rotten kind of life. The word riotous means loose from restraint. He took the bridle off. He didn't have any restraint. He was an uninhibited individual. You hear a lot about inhibitions today. This fellow had none of them. He threw them off. He lived it up. He was, he was at the parties. He drunk it up. He served them all. He wasted his substance in riotous, loose from restraint living. But watch verse 14. And when he had spent all, and that's the tragedy of following the devil's path, he doesn't stop with just a little bit. 
He'll take everything you got. Well, you say, not me, bud. Not me, preacher. I know where to stop. That's what that old blurry-eyed, red-eyed, thick-tongued, staggering, vomiting, drunk down on Skid Row says, too. He knew where to stop, didn't he? That's what the poor, sullen girl who stands on the street corner selling her body for the lustful intent of men for money and prices. Ah, she knew where to stop too, didn't she? That's where the criminal who stowed death row, he knew how far to go and where to stop. But you see, once the devil gets his hooks in you, you don't have much choice. He takes all. Took all when he had spent all the Bible said there rose a mighty famine in that land. Boy, he thought he was going to the land of plenty, didn't he? I've talked to teenagers who've gone out on these wild trips and got in drugs and narcotics, and they said, Boy, ah, uh, that's the that's the way to go. And oh, what high experiences, what joy, oh, what a peaceful feeling I had. But I'm gonna tell you something that comes a famine in that land. Fellow starts out drinking his little toddy and his liquor and his alcoholic beverage, and he thinks, man, I'm free from all my problems, but there soon comes a famine in that land. Name any other sinful pleasure you want to, and you can tack what I've just said onto the end of every story, and there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. You know what the scripture's saying? It didn't satisfy. Nothing of disobedience will ever satisfy the inner longings of your heart. No man has ever found peace who lives a life of rebellion against God. I don't care in what area of life, whether you're saved or unsaved, you find a rebellious spirit, you'll find dissatisfaction, lack of peace. So the prodigal son, the Bible said, when he spent all famine rose, he began to be in want. Now watch it. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him in his fields... To feed swine. Do you see what Jesus said? You would have thought after all this prodigal son had lost, he spent every dime he had. I mean, he didn't have anything left. You would think he had come to his senses. You would think he'd say, my soul, listen, this is not the life for me. Well, look here, this kind of living is taking everything I've got. It's robbed me. It's cheated me. It's lied to me. It is, it, it is not real. It's a dream world. I'm going home. If he had a thought of doing that, there was a little voice down inside called pride that said, uh, you going home? You going to crawl back and say to your father, father, you're right. I'm wrong. Are you going to admit that you made the bad choice? And his pride, instead of letting him go home, drove him farther. Now get the story. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, that far country, that distant land where the famine was. And he, get this, sent him into his fields to feed swine. Here's the same young man who said earlier, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm my own master. I'll do what I want to do. But notice the slavery. He sent him. He didn't ask him to go. He said, get out there in that hot blood if you don't work for me. To a Jewish young man, that's the most despicable, despised place a fellow could be. The hog was an unclean animal. And here this prodigal boy is being driven. Sin drives its slaves. Jesus leads his sheep. 
just leaves you lost. You follow. But sin drives. It whips. It drives. It, 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 it controls. You don't believe that? Talk to the 10, 10 million plus alcoholics in America. Talk to the drug addicts that can't get by without a little fix. Talk to those who are eaten up with lust and immorality. What I'm trying to say to you is sin drives its slave. And the young man who was so proud and arrogant and self-willed is saying nobody's going to tell me what to do. Listen, you are so constructed and there's not one thing you can do about it that you're going to be mastered and controlled by something or someone in your life. Something is going to have the control in your life. It may be a thirst for pleasure. It may be thirst for possessions and wealth or popularity or fame or power. But something's going to take over in your life. God made you like that. And yet this prodigal son is a slave. And now giving himself to a citizen of that old distant, rebellious land. And he drives him down in the field. And verse 16 said he would fain have filled his belly with a husk. But the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him, but all the friends were gone. I hear a mournful cry in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 30 and verse 14. And of Israel the Lord said, All thy lovers have first gotten thee, they seek thee not. All those who were your lovers, boy, they don't even know you now. They have forgotten your name, they can care less about you. That's the devil's crap. See that popular young man at the office who always buying all the drinks? He becomes an alcoholic and a bum and nobody even speaks to him. They're embarrassed to be around him. That's why sin does its victims. The man gets in trouble with the law, winds up in the penitentiary, and people ask, do you know so-and-so? No, I, who is that? I don't. They forgot. Sin does its victims like that. The prodigal son now would have fain fill his belly with a hus and swine to eat, but he couldn't do it. If he had eaten everything the hogs had given to him, he'd still never been satisfied. Man not made to live on hog food. He's not made to live on slop. He's made to live on the manna from heaven. God designed him like that. And watch again. And when he came to himself, he said, that tells a big story, doesn't it? Just that one phrase. When he came to himself, boy, he began to do some thinking. Do you know what the devil don't want you to do any thinking? He don't want you to stop long enough to think about it. He don't want you to give any serious thought to where you came from. He don't want you to give any serious thought to why you're here and where you're going when this life is wound up. He'll try to keep you so occupied you won't think for yourself. And let me tell you this. American people being brainwashed every day. We're letting other people do our thinking for us. If you don't believe that, you watch a news program on television. The president makes a speech, and the news commentator thinks that you don't have enough sense to interpret what the president said yourself, so they have to tell you what he said after he said it. You know, you know, I mean, they do your thinking. And the ma average American is governed by what the news commentator says, by what the president said, or what Congress has done, or what events transpire in the world. It's time you start doing some thinking for yourself. And now, instead of us doing things, we got computers to do our thinking. 
My little boy came on the other day, the little fellow's telling you about in grammar school. And he said to me, he said, Daddy, I said, yes, son. Would you buy me a calculator? Ten-year-old kid. A calculator? For what, son? Oh, he said, I could do my math so much easier like that. I said, son, when you figure out how to do it in your upstairs computer right up there, and you know you know how to do it, then I may think about it, but not until. We're living in a push-button age when machines do our thinking for us. An average man wouldn't know what to do if the machine broke down to start with. He's just letting the devil brainwash him and make him a lame brain, and the devil in the world and the flesh doing all the thinking for us. The devil don't want you to think. He don't want you to realize where you are. He doesn't want you to realize where you're headed. And listen, friends, he doesn't want the average man, he doesn't want any man to think about how close we are to the wind-up of this world system. Oh, he don't want you to think about that. But I'm going to tell you, honey, you're closer than you ever realize. I wouldn't drive my stakes too deep if I was you. The Lord Jesus is coming. I don't know when, but I know it's not going to be all that long. I know that events are shaping up in the Middle East just like the Word of God said so. And some people haven't even taken time to get in the Word of God to find out what's going on in the Middle East. They, say, they don't know what in the world. What's Russia doing in the Middle East? Ah, oh, that bunch of bloodthirsty, cruel, cruel characters. Ah, oh, they're just all the warmongers. They were thinking about a purpose. The Lord told you what they're there for. And I'm going to tell you what they're there for. They're there to attack Israel. What the Bible teaches. And I'm going to tell you who some of their allies are. Iran will be one of them. You say, how'd you get so smart? I'm not. I'm just reading the right book. Not only Iran, but, well, I, let me go on. I won't get on that. If I do, boy, we'll just, I'll, I'll hang in there for a long time. I, we'll save that for Where would I go? What happened to me? Hey, wake up. It's time you do some thinking. What's going to happen to me? What will happen to my life? What is what if this life that I'm living? Living Christ out. No time for the Word of God. No time for God. What is all of this coming to? You owe it to yourself to wake up. The prodigal son came to himself, and you know what he said? How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with What a fool I am. Well, my father back there's got all the food that I'd ever need. And he's got so much that even the servants, the hired hands, they have more than enough. And here I am, a rightful son of my father, and I'm one day trash that's given to the hogs. He's waking up, isn't he? Happy day for a man when he begins to think. When he begins to realize that life is more than bread and butter. It's more than having a little money in the bank and owning a few acres. It's more than driving a nice automobile and having a, having a name. It's far more than that. And so the prodigal said, how many, how many, he has got bread enough spare? And verse 18, boy, he's getting serious now. He said, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I can almost see him. Sitting over there in the whole corner of the hog lot. Smelly, nasty old place. Cold winter night. Skies cloudless. Stars so brightly shine. And he looks up and says, I, 
I know what I'll do. What can I do? Can I go home and say to my father, Father, is it all a bad dream? No, he said that wouldn't be it. Oh, I know what I'll say, Father, it never really happened, did it? It's just, it's just some nightmare. No. I know what I can do. I can blame it on somebody else. But no, that wouldn't help either. I know what I'll do. The only thing I can, I will arise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, what else can I say? But I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Say, dear unsaved man or woman, sinning man or woman, what else can you say to God? You can't say it's a bad dream. You can't blame it on somebody else. It's happened. It's real. Your sin is real. All you can say is, God, I've sinned. I've sinned and I admit it. I acknowledge it. Many a man ruins his life by saying, oh, if I had only not said or done what I did. And I'm talking to some of you right here tonight. A woman said to me long, long ago, she and her husband, they're weeping and crying over a son. And the son had become so rebellious and wayward. And they said, oh, preacher, if we had just only done so and so, if we had taken this and we had done that, and if we had not have said this, oh, if we hadn't, well... Too late to cry over spilt milk and what you could have done and should have done and didn't do. You're going to have to take it from where it is, right here. The football team gets backed up against the, uh, the other uh, against their goal line on the one yard line. They can't say, "Boy, I sure wish we was down on the. I wish we was down yon on their five yard. I wish we were down there real close." No, you're going to have to take the ball right where it is and work from there. Don't waste your life saying, oh, what if, what if that had not happened? We hadn't have said this or done that. Forget it if you've confessed it. Start from right there where you are. Move out for God. The prodigal son said, the only thing I can say is I've sinned. And then look at verse 20. Jesus is very careful to remind us that the prodigal's life did not end with simply good intentions. But the story of some of your lives in this building if we were writing it, we'd have to stop right here. All that's happened so far in your life is what's happened up to this point in verse 19 in the prodigal son's life. I'm going to, he said. I will arise. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the Father and say to him, I've sinned. I've done wrong. I've done wrong. But as far as you've made it, I'm going to. But Jesus was very careful to say at verse 20, and he arose. And came to his father. In other words, he wasn't just living a life of good intentions. He did something about it. Amen. What I'm challenging you to do tonight and calling upon you to do is to do what you know you ought to do. The prodigal knew he should have gotten up and gone home and said, I'm sorry, I've sinned. I've been a fool out of myself. What I'm telling you to do tonight is get up and do what you know you ought to do. Now do that. If you know you've never received Christ and you know you ought to do it, do it now. If you know you're out in sin and you need to turn from that and come to Christ and know his forgiveness, do it now. And he arose and came to his father. But see the beauty of this picture. And when, but when he was yet a great way off, 
His father saw him. You know what that tells me? Old dad's been looking for him a long time. He hadn't written him off. And God hadn't written you off, dear man or woman. Oh, but you say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't have to. You don't know how low down I've done some things. I don't have to. God hadn't written you off. He's looking for you. He's looking, waiting for that first sign or movement from your life as you arise to come to him. And watch what happens. And when he saw, it was yet a great wealth, his father saw him, and he had compassion. You know what it seems to me the verse should say? And his father, when he saw him yet a great way off, had contempt. This worthless kid, taking everything I've given him, squandered it, thrown it away, wasted his life, ruined the name of this family, scarred and broken his mother's heart and my heart. I hold him in contempt. And that's the way God ought to have done every one of us. I ought to have sent every man and woman in this house to hell what he ought to do but the Bible said he had compassion you know what that word means it means to suffer with and he suffered with him that tells me the father put himself in that boy's place and that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for men in their sin he put himself in your place he went to the cross upon which you should have hung he died the agonizing death you ought to die he suffered the judgment from the hand of God that you ought to suffer. The prodigal son, his father, had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Hey, do you get this? The father didn't even say, hey, boy, before I hug your neck, you go in there and take yourself a bath. You stink. You smell. You've been in a hot block. And you've been out here wasting your life. You get all cleaned up, then I'll take you. I'll, I'll embrace you. No. Ragged. Cold, frustrated, smelly. The father took him in his arms and kissed him on the neck. And the boy said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I've been such a wretch and such a ruin. I'm not worthy to be in your family. Just make me a hard servant. Boy, that's a different tone of voice, isn't it? You know what he said to start with? Give me, give me, give me. But now he's saying, make me. Whatever you want to do, you make me. I suggest the lowest place in the family, make me a servant. That's an humble spirit, isn't it? Boy, his pride went out the window. And I'm going to tell you, nothing will reveal what a man is any more than sin and its wages. And he comes home saying, oh God, I've made such a mess of things. My life's broken. My home's broken. My future's ruined and broken. I'm glad the Lord said, that's all right. I'm going to take up all those broken pieces. I'm going to put you back on the wheel, mold you up, shape you up, put you back together. I'm glad he's a father like that, aren't you? He didn't scold the boy. He didn't need scolding. He didn't condemn him. He didn't say, boy, you do better than do what you did. No, he didn't even say that. 
Hey, didn't you have any better sense than to do it? No, he didn't say that. He just took him in his arms and said, in essence, son, I love you. You're my boy. You're mine. I don't care what you've done. And I forgive you. He said, after the boy had made his confession, said, I've sinned against heaven. I said, don't even, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like a, make me one of your hard terms. And Jesus said to Father, didn't even say anything, but turned around and said, Go bring the best robe and put it on this boy. Son, you don't have any shoes on, but only slaves go barefooted. Bring some shoes and put on this boy. What happened to your ring that's a sign of sonship, son? I lost it, Father. Bring a ring and put on his finger. I claim him as my own. And say, you servants, Go out there and find the fattest calf in the field and kill it. And let's have a feast and make merry. For this my son was dead and he's alive. He's lost and he's found. And notice in closing, and they began to be merry. wonder why Jesus said they began to be merry. Well, when you come to Jesus Christ, that's just the beginning of it. That's just the beginning of joy. I thought I was happy the night I got saved. But I'm going to tell you, I have kicked up my heels many, many be the time since. I was happy the night I got saved. I just shouted all over the place. Now, I don't tell you you have to do that. But I just carried the weight and burden around so long. I just, I was so glad to get rid of it. I couldn't contain it. But I've sure done some hollering sin. I just began to be married. You remember back yonder when you was growing up at home? How well I remember it. Mom would fix that good old dinner, fried chicken for Sunday. And that's the only time we ever had fried chicken. The only time we ever had iced tea is Sunday. They didn't have the ice. Had to go to the store and buy it, you know, the ice plant and buy it. And that's the only time you have iced tea. rest of the time you drink cow's milk, drink water. Boy, Mom would fix that big Sunday dinner up. We'd eat till boys just running out of our ears almost. Other, all through the week, we'd eat cornmeal mush. Y'all know what that is? Poke salad in the spring. That sounds pretty good to me, by the way. I ain't had supper tonight. And here, Mom would fix all that up, and we'd get through. And she'd come around and start picking up the plates. And Mom would say, Four. Keep your four. You know what that spell? Something real good coming up. You think you had something already? Keep your four. And the Lord says to his children, keep your four. It's just starting. Now you think we're a funny bunch down here and happy as a lark. You wait till you see me up yonder in my new home. You went, you meet me up there on Hallelujah Boulevard. Bless God, I'll be jumping six feet high. I'll be shouting all over town. You want to have any wonder whether I'm there or not. I'll guarantee you that. And my lungs are not perfect now, but they will be. You talk about creating a ruckus, I'm going to do it. They began to be merry. What joy came to that prodigal's heart that day and the father's. Do you know I can see him later years working around the old place? Sit down over yonder the edge of the field on old log, a creek. 
And I imagine he began to reflect on all that's happened. First thing you know is a tear glistening in his eye. And he goes home and sits down by his old dad, now old in years. He just sits down to dad. You know, I I guess I don't tell you enough, but I I want to tell you how I love you. I thank you for putting up with me. Father's Day coming up Sunday. It'd be a good thing for you to do that too. To your earthly dad. Those old hands are rough, callous. Back that's sore and stiff. Y'all just say, look. I was just sitting over there on the log thinking. I just wanted to come and tell you how much I was. That's joy, brother. My dad's still living. And I still go by. I respect him and love him. And I go by now and put my arm around my dad and tell him how much I love him and appreciate him. I don't wait till Father's Day. And that gives him a joy. But I'm going to tell you something. When my old dad puts his trembling old hand around my shoulder, looks into my eyes and says, Son, I want you to know I'm proud of you. I love you. Now, boy... You talk, and I, I, it is a happy day around our house, I guess, when I got born. I hope it was. A mile of wonderful day since then. It was a great day when I got in the family of God, but oh, how blessed have been the days since. Just pull up beside the Father, sit down beside Him, and say, Dear Father, I love you. I thank you for putting up with an old wretched character like me. All you've gone through for me, all you've done, I thank you. The prodigal son had joy, but his father had the greater joy. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our heads are bowed. I've told the story of some of your lives up to a point. I've told the story of the lives of many who are here tonight that you know what I've talked about. You've read your life. You've seen it in what this young man's life was. You look back on a day when you came and told the Lord you're sorry and you asked him to forgive you and save you, and he did. But I'm talking to some people tonight, and you hadn't made it any farther than saying, well, I, one of these days I'm going to. And yet the Father in heaven stand waiting, longing, brokenhearted, that you choose your own way and reject and rebel and resist him. He wants to save you. He loves you. In spite of all you've ever done or ever been, ever said, or ever will be, he loves you. And I'm going to ask you tonight to return that love and say to him, Oh God, I'm sorry for my sin. And I want you to forgive me and save me. He'll do it. Let's stand to our feet, please. Our heads are bowed. We're going to sing softly and tenderly if it's in the book. Jesus is calling calling for you and me see on the portals he's waiting and watching watching for you and me softly called tenderly called and he wants you to come tonight let's pray together father i ask you now that you'll take the word of god and may it be applied to every heart and life in this building Oh, dear Jesus, somebody's here tonight. I sense that. I know that. I feel that. I, I, I Lord, am aware 
by the very moving of life spirit to someone here tonight. You've reached out and you've drawn and you've called and you've awakened them. And I pray they shall come and receive Jesus tonight. And there's somebody here like a prodigal boy. Yes, some are saved. And they know you, but they've gotten so far away from you. They've lived in that distant land. Oh, God, may they come home to you tonight and know your forgiveness. And I'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I will start number 298, number 296 in our songbooks, number 296. And as you sing it, I want, to hear, I want you to hear me. So important. If tonight you do not know Christ as your Savior, down in your heart you're condemned by your sin, why don't you tonight step out of your seat, walk down this aisle, and the pastor's going to stand right here at the front. I want you to come and give him your hand. And as you do, bow here at the altar for a moment of prayer. And briefly for a truth from the word of God, how you know Christ will save you and come into your life. You'll do it tonight, and I know you want to. So while we sing, just come on quickly. That's what this service is all about. Let's sing. Just give us a chord, and let's sing it together, will you? All right, come on. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is. Dear man, dear lady, don't break his heart anymore. You belong to him by life. Why don't you make it your choice? Come on. you bow your heads before we sing that second stanza how many times we have let the most precious things be our excuse for not coming I've known people to hold a baby in the arms and say oh I couldn't go down now I have to take care of the children the mother says mama don't keep your children over there in that distant land don't let anything keep you from coming. Don't let one thing keep you away from Jesus. Your life's fast drifting away from you. There's not a thing you can do about it. You're headed for eternity. Not a thing you can do about it. I guarantee you there's not. But you can do something about being ready. You can trust Jesus. You can let him into your life. I wonder how many people here tonight say, Brother Burrow, I'm saved, I know I'm a Christian, but I've gotten away from God. I'm in a distant land, I've been rebellious, and I want God to forgive me, and I ask you to pray for me. If so, would you lift your hand up right now? How many of you in this audience, God bless you. Others, I'll just slip it up, take it right down. I know I'm saved. I know I'm a child of God, but I've gotten away from the Lord. I want you to pray for me. How many others, I'll just slip your hand up, take it right down, quickly. Anywhere else, one well, of the first steps making things right is acknowledging your need. Are there others? Anywhere else, just slip your hand up, take it down. How many say that, preacher, I do not even know I'm saved. I don't know that I've ever come to Christ, but I know I need to. 
and I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you, point you out, come to you, condemn you. I'm not, that's not my reason. I want to pray for you. I love you. How many of you would say right now, preacher, yes, I do not know I'm saved, and I want you to pray for me. If so, would you slip your hand up right this moment, would you? Anywhere, just quickly slip it up, take it right down. God will see it, and I'll see it. Anywhere else right now, just a moment. I'll wait for a second more. God's spoken to your heart. I know he has, and you're aware of a need. Slip it up anywhere else. Join these anywhere else. Now, Father, you've seen these hands, and you know their hearts. You know the sincerity of them. Help them to come now and make things right for Jesus' sake. One other stanza. Heads bowed. Sing the second stanza, and you come, won't you? Why?